Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. This is the place where you'll find real conversations with real sales leaders about how you can leverage sales technology to get ahead of the pack. Improve your sales numbers by taking advantage of emerging technology before your competitors get there first. They'll share everything from the trends they're seeing in the marketplace to actionable strategies that you can use to make more sales today. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen. Here's your host, Morgan Williams. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Williams, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Trent Anderson. Trent is the co-founder of Leadlio. Leadlio provides outsourced sales consultants to small businesses and mid-sized corporations that need to launch or expand their sales operations to drive revenue growth. Leadlio's senior level sales talent uses intent-driven data to run laser-focused outbound campaigns. Better talent plus better data minus the cost of SDRs. Trent, I love the value prop. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Morgan. Thanks for having me on. And I'm excited to uh, talk some sales and some tech and do a, do a good job here for you. Absolutely. So can you start things off by kind of walking us through your background and how it's led to what you're doing now over at Leadlio? Sure. Yeah. First time founder. I co-founded Leadlio along with my co-founder, Aaron. Aaron spent uh, a number of years at IBM going through their sales training machine. He and I got connected, I don't know, five, six years ago. We've watched each other's careers and trajectories. And we always thought, hey, it would be pretty cool to join forces here and, and do something cool in the sales world. And uh, that's kind of what we did. So a little bit about my background. I actually started out thinking I was going to be a lawyer. And I was the stereotypical law school dropout, uh, much to the chagrin of, of family and friends. But what I had recognized when I was there is I really liked technology and I really liked marketing. So in a lot of the student organizations and student groups that I was in, um, I was the one being asked to reach out to alum and reach out to different groups on campus and try to drive more, whether it be donations or foot traffic to events and that sort of thing. And my first kind of foray into like the technology space is I had a friend at law school who was a really smart computer scientist and he just decided to go to law school. And I said, it'd be awesome if I could automate all the outreach for this particular segment of our alumni to get them back on campus to do X, Y, and Z. And um, what he did was he wrote a script and we put that into place. And then that's kind of how we did outreach for this very specific user group within the law school. So that's kind of when I caught the bug. Um, from there, I, I did some content marketing where I got, first got exposed to marketing automation tools like Marketo and HubSpot. And then I transitioned to ad sales. And that was uh, more of an archaic industry. And that's when I decided I needed to do something different and align myself with someone that really knew what they were talking about, which is when I joined UTech and Associates, which is what we were called back then. Now it's UTech Agency. And I was the fifth employee there, um, commission-only sales rep. 
uh, left a salary plus commission job to, to do that. Again, friends, family thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> and within a couple of months, I was uh, promoted to director of business development and then the VP of business development. And uh, when I first joined on, we were a $250,000 ARR firm. And then uh, by the time I left, we were $8 million in revenue. Wow. And it wasn't all because of me, but um, you know, we had, a, we had a really strong team. And shout out to those guys, to, to Wilbur, who's co- who was one of the founders, to Lauren, who's the COO, and then Mike, who's the CMO over there. So yeah, that's when I really kind of went full force in terms of technology as part of the sales and marketing operation. And we were one of the early adopters of HubSpot's agency partnership, um, which then kind of turned us into HubSpot CRM group. And then, you know, as technology continued to progress, we were a drift uh, shop very early on. And then finally, our, our last kind of big tech purchase over there was the, the Centro's um, demand side planning tool. So anyway, a lot of tech oriented stuff in, in my sales and, and marketing career, which led me to finding some really good systems and some really good ecosystems to put in place for our clients over at Lulio. Awesome. A lot of great stuff in there. And I can definitely see how those different parts of your background have led to you know this well-rounded sales foundation. I did not know you were a law school dropout. I am too, actually. So that's funny. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I actually bought the domain, thelawschooldropout.com. That was my first little domain. Actually, if you you go there, well, I just redirected it to my main one now. So if you type in thelawschooldropout.com, you'll see a picture of me. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, (laughs) But that's interesting. How did that campaign go in law school? that outreach campaign you're working on? Yeah. So I, I went to a, a state law school that was, you know, way west of the city of Chicago and didn't have a ton of, I guess, like ranking recognition in terms of like where it ranked uh, for best law schools to go to and that sort of thing. So I had to get a little bit creative in how to do that. So we ended up getting some of the major firms from the city to come out to our, our small little uh, rural law school and it was a great networking opportunity for a lot of the folks within our uh, you know, small group organization there. And again, this was primarily driven from email. And this was back in 2009. So there really wasn't a ton of like email marketing automation tools, certainly not like there are today. Um, and we ended up building like a database on top of this automation tool. Um, when I left, so too, did the, so too did the tool. Otherwise, you know, I would have had some better thoughts about selling it to HubSpot way back when. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was a great campaign. And I think uh, after um, I departed, I think they got some utility out of it. So anyway. Nice. Very nice. A couple other points I want to touch on. You know, you had a blip there working in content marketing. How important yeah. do you see content being in the outreach process, the cold outreach yeah, process? I think it's. Yeah, I think it's huge, and I think that's that's going to be a you know a transition part of our conversation too. So um, I think the the lines between sales and marketing have blurred considerably. Yeah, um, I think that's why we've started to evangelize the term ABR. And folks might be familiar with ABM, account based marketing, and ABS, account based sales. But the conversations that we've had is if you're talking with a head of marketing or a CMO and you talk about ABS, they immediately turn off their brains. And if you're sitting in a room with a VP of sales or a CRO and you start talking about ABM, 
they too go completely dark or their eyes glass gloss over. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we call it ABR because marketing and sales are essentially serving the same function, which is revenue. Um, they're both tasked with producing revenue. So when you marry those two concepts together and, and through account base, there's less of a, a siloed approach to the whole, the entire outreach system, essentially, right? So that's where we're trying to help break down some of these silos and, and make it a much more contiguous process. And that even follows through to customer success, because as we know, deals are continued or average contract values, uh, lifetime are extended when customer success is part of that early onboarding process as well. So yeah, I think marketing had a huge impact on me. One, it made me a much better writer. I, that was one thing I, I think I probably took for granted. Well, being in law school and then prior to that uh, in undergrad, you know, I was very much a part of like prose writing and, and writing like how your professors want to write. Then you get to the real world, and you're like, man, I'm getting a email back from a CEO that's like four words long. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like is is he the jerk or am I? And you very different very quickly. Yeah. yeah, you realize very very quickly how valuable time is and how valuable attention is. So you have to learn how to write to capture somebody's attention, which is where I lean really heavily on on my writing background in order to run some of these outbound sales cadences as well. So, yeah, to answer your question. It, like the testing, the copywriting mentality, as well as the testing mentality, um, I think is something that I've definitely carried over from marketing to sales. Awesome. And the last point I want to touch on there from your background, your time at UTech, what were the, the yeah. big two or three levers that you guys pulled to grow so rapidly? Yeah. yeah, we really understood our customer base and we really understood why they were buying from us. And, and what that allowed us to do was enter into a new ecosystem or enter into a new like supply chain, for example. And we would go in working with a manufacturer. And then because we had so much subject matter expertise in that particular manufacturer's industry, we also knew how to speak the language of their vendors, of their suppliers, of their resellers, of their end users. So we were able to go up and down a food chain with relative ease. Um, one example I'll give, like we were really big in the video slot machine industry. So we would work with the terminal operators who put the slot machines literally in, you know, bars, restaurants, and then we would work with the distributor of those slot machines. And then we would work with the manufacturers of those slot machines. And then we would even work all the way down to the restaurant and bar level as well. So that was one of the key things that we did. And we built a lot of tools to help specifically like make those processes easier for folks in that industry. So that was kind of the way that we did it. And it wasn't just, you know, gaming and slot machines, but hospitality, we did that in athletics, we did that in quite a bit. So I think that would be a lesson learned if you can really understand your customers well. Um, it's not just like one client, that client can have, you know, an exponential impact um, if you can learn how to work within their ecosystem as well. That's very interesting. Um, you don't hear that a lot, which I guess is part of the reason why it works so well for you guys. You know, yeah. um, it sounds like just a snowball kind of happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's very interesting. What trends are you seeing in marketing and sales technology today? Yeah. So I think the big thing is automation, of course, and that's not going to be a surprise for anybody. Um, I'm going to borrow a definition from a podcast I recently listened to, and there's two types of automation. There's autopilot and there's copilot. 
And I think a lot of people think of automation that it's going to be autopilot. So that's going to render SDRs, BDRs basically irrelevant because you can just type in, you know, your service offering, you spit it into a database and, and it spits out all of these hot leads for you. Um, I think you and I both know, and, and probably a lot of your listeners know that something like that doesn't exist and, and it probably won't ever exist. So that's why I think co-piloting automated activities is where the real value is at. And for us, the co-piloting is intent data. And intent data, for those that don't know, there's first party and third party intent data. And the first party intent data is information that you get off your website um, through Google Analytics, through WordPress, if you use that as your CMS, through you know, any of your owned properties, so to speak. So you're talking about like site visitors, downloads, contact form fillouts, that sort of thing. While that's good, it's not necessarily representative of like the internet as a whole. Where third-party data is super interesting is it's like uh, analysts, it's peers, it's industry conferences, vendor websites, tech information websites, forums, events, white papers, all that good stuff, search engines. That's all considered third-party data. And I think one of the things that we found as sellers is timing is almost everything in a sales process and how many times have you been on the receiving end of, you know, an RFP or or even somebody reaching out saying, Hey, you know, I've, you guys got a great offering. Um, you got a great product. The the pricing seems like it's okay, but you know, timing is just not right. We're already, you know, uh, nine tenths of the way through the process with vendor X who happens to be your, you know, your, your most ruthless competitor or, you know, worse yet, Hey, man, I really wish you would have uh, reached out to us three months earlier, but we're in a two-year contract now and we can't get out of it. So what the intent data helps us do is identify people that are looking for solutions, specifically like our client solutions. And that's giving us uh, another kind of arrow in the quiver that helps us run more efficient, more effective outbound campaigns because we know that people are in the prospects or in the research phase of their decision-making process, right? So mm-hmm. that's where we really feel like automated intent data that can get even smarter too when you build out models and predictive and let the machines like run the learning is when it gets really, really interesting. So that would be part one. And obviously the application there for B2B is huge. Um, if you can solve one of the biggest objections being timing, the, the floodgates really open up. So I'll pause there and you can ask any follow-up. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a good understanding of the first party data, right? There's plenty of yeah. tools out there where, you know, you go to someone's website, they cookie you or they grab the data that way. And with third party, how is this data being, well, you mentioned a few ways that it's being aggregated, but kind of what yeah. hubs are aggregating this data? And then when it's kind of transmitted to you, what does it look like kind of on, you know, is something popping up and saying, you know, this account might be making a buying yeah. decision on X, what does that kind of flow look like? Yeah, so the preeminent provider of third-party data is a website or a vendor called Bombora, and that's B-O-M-B-O-R-A. And we leverage Bombora's data through EverString, which is another platform. And EverString is essentially, you know, your Zoom Info, your Discover Org uh, contact solution with this intent data being, you know, pushed through it. And this intent data, when you marry it with the contact data, we can get within a range of outcomes of who that person might be or what department might be searching for that given vendor solution. So how that is collected, how that data is collected, like I said, is through like 
vendor websites like your G2 crowds, your Capterras, that sort of thing. Mm. It's through uh, white papers, search engines, industry publications, um, tech publications, and that sort of thing. So you have all these disparate pools of data that exist out there um, and these intent data providers such as Bombora, which again, I think is probably the preeminent in the industry. They're taking all that data, they're aggregating it, and then they have very selective partners that they're feeding their intent data through. And then, you know, those other third-party providers like EverString are overlaying the contact data on top of that as well. So for example, if you sell like an email marketing automation tool and you're an SDR, you're an AE and you're running an outbound campaign, and you want to be able to hit people that are already searching for a marketing automation tool. So you might say that my ideal customer profile is a startup in the you know, $5 million to $25 million revenue range. We're only focused on Bay Area startups. Um, these are the types of like head of marketing or head of sales or co-founder or CRO or whatever the title is. And then you can, it'll spit out um, a list of all of the companies that are surging for those intent topics, as well as overlaying the contact data. So put those two things together. And I think that's where we see the biggest bang for our buck and uh, it consolidates some of the, the licensing of, of software as well. Gotcha. So essentially it's like Bombora is like the farm that's farming this yeah. data and they're yeah. selling it to the distributors who are then selling it to the grocery stores or kind of that kind of model. Right? Yeah. It's getting yeah. more refined. Yeah. Yep. So I assume that, you know, if everybody's got, well, everybody, you know, speaking in loosely, but if multiple people have this data that how you capitalize on it or the real advantage you gain is by how you use it, right? How you Correct. access that data. And that's where you come in and companies like you and how you kind of use that data to actually make contact. So can you kind of talk about what that handoff or what that yeah. piece looks like? Yeah, definitely. So that's kind of part two of the trends that we're seeing as well. And when we say our second trend is personalization, what we're really talking about is account-based sales and marketing. So it's one thing to have all that intent data and, and match it with the contact data and say, great, and everyone gives you a thumbs up and high fives around the table. It doesn't mean anything until you get opportunities on the table. And that's where right. we come in. And what we've also seen is in the like the B2B process, there's about seven or eight key stakeholders that are involved in any decision to make a purchase. And each of those decision makers consults at least five different channels, whether it be peer-to-peer, -peer, industry publication, social media, um, any other sort of, you know, uh, word of mouth, events, trade shows, that sort of thing. So when you're a, a seller in the B2B space, you're thinking like, okay, People are anonymous through this process. How do I get engaged with them? I know that I have this data. How do I get it in front of them? Um, I need to get this information, my solution in front of a larger group of people. How do I go about getting this done? And that's where, you know, we're building out account-based strategies, again, through some tools, as well as just through some basic uh, blocking and tackling of nice. like email outreach, tying that back in with direct mail campaigns, tying that back in with give to get campaigns, um, tying that back in with messaging and making sure the people that are receiving our messages are the ones that are actually going to resonate with it, right? So sort of revealing the secret sauce and how we get that done. Um, that's really where kind of the magic happens in terms of building out these outbound cadences that are all part of an account-based strategy. I love it. That was good tactical info too, like numbers, seven to eight decision makers. 
yeah. five different sources of information. If you think about you know, a C-level or VP or whoever, whoever's involved in the buying decision, if they're thinking about, you know, the first place, what I'm trying to say is the first place a lot of people go is Google, right? They're going to research, they're going to look at Gartner, they're going to look at sites like G2 Crowd and Captera, and they're going to do a lot of their research on their own, right? We've all heard that. Most of the research Mm. is done. Most of the decision is made before they speak with you. So you're, you're doing outbound campaigns. Are you using content marketing along with this like putting putting little kind of nets out there for people when they google to find you know not just information on the prospects or your client's website or your website but also other websites what does that kind of look like yeah that's a great point i'm glad you brought up the difference between like c-suite or vps and then kind of everybody else because what typically happens and, and this is our experience is a a C-suite level person or a VP might sign off on the ultimate decision, but they're not the ones that are actually advocating for that. They could care less as long as their subordinates or their teams are the ones that are executing and it's making their teams better, which in turn makes the VP or the C-suite person, you know, look more admirable in front of the board or shareholders or whoever. So that's where the content marketing piece really comes in, you know, delivering industry reports, delivering state of industry reports, delivering uh, vendor comparisons, delivering use cases, delivering all kinds of, of content that aren't just tongue in cheek, seven reasons why you need to buy our SaaS. Um, no one cares about that. They want to see exactly how their life will be made easier or their job will be made easier as a result of your product. So that's when we build out some of like the, these content pieces and we build out some of these, you know, very focused pieces of content. That's what we're thinking about. How can we make these internal champions look like champions in the eyes of their bosses and in turn how the bosses can look in, in front of you know, their key stakeholders as well. So that takes on a lot of different forms. It could be PDFs, it could be white papers, it could be eBooks, it could be GIFs. I mean, more and more we're seeing the long form stuff isn't quite playing as, as much because people don't have time or attention to give. So if you can get your point across with a really well-timed um, GIF or a really like motion graphic um, kind of cool play with visualizing some data, that's where, you know, we're seeing a lot, a lot greater returns on attention at the very least, which is turning into, you know, more opportunities on client side. So content marketing and content, generally speaking, are, are a huge part of, of the process. Nice. I want to take some time to talk about Leadlio specifically. Yeah. Can you tell us about, you know, what type of customer gets the most value out of working with your company and kind of who you best help and, and kind of how that looks. Yeah. Yeah. So we work with primarily enterprise, mid-sized enterprise uh, types of clients. I know it's been a bit of a, of a evolution since we first started, um, but that's where we feel we can, we drive the biggest bang for our buck. And what typically that means is we're breaking down, or at least we're make, building a bridge between siloed um, departments and organizations. So because of my background in marketing, because of Aaron's world-class sales training, we know how to speak both languages and then we've both been on the receiving end on, on the customer success side as well. So we know kind of what that looks like in terms of a win. So that's where we're helping kind of, uh, I don't want to use the term create synergy, but we're, we're really <laughs> bridging, we're bridging the gap between two or three departments and creating a, a much more holistic solution that again is driving bigger revenue and bigger deal sizes for the organizations that that contract with us as well. That's one of the other beauties of account-based selling is 
we're hitting the ideal customers. And like, for example, we have one client, um, they had a 10% penetration within their existing client base. Us getting them from 10% to 12% is an eight figure wow. movement and top line revenue, right? So like if we can help run land and expand programs as well as, you know, like one to, to few, that's where we're driving the biggest bang for our buck. And, and oftentimes these opportunities are right underneath all of our noses, but for whatever reason, maybe it's someone that's been protective over account for a long time and, you know, it's bankable revenue for them. They don't really feel comfortable handing it off to a marketing function and, and certainly not to a different salesperson. Um, it's easier for us to walk in and say, hey, you're protected. You did a great job bringing in this client. Let's go, you know, help them realize the benefits of bringing the solution, you know, company-wide or enterprise-wide as opposed to just, you know, the, this one use case or instance. So, which is, again, uh, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. If, if we're not driving revenue and impact for our clients, then our contracts don't last very long. So we're kind of in the, in the prove-it uh, model business for sure. Absolutely. And I, and I imagine that when you work with a client, you guys are offering a very high level of service. What does that onboarding process look like? And how do you engage with people if someone's interested in working with you? Kind of what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So typically we'll do an initial discovery to figure out kind of what exists in their world now. And that might be looking at their ideal customer profiles. Some companies have them really well documented, some don't, um, and that's okay. It might be looking at their national account list or their, their target account list and figuring out what their penetration is in that market, um, what like a realistic return could look like. Um, we do a lot of pro forma activity as well. So we can basically say, hey, if, if X input plus Y input equals Z output, you know, this is kind of what our, our business case is for the engagement. And then, you know, typically we're also looking at whatever tech stacks that exist within their ecosystems as well. So that's where marketing automation experience comes into play, uh, which I'm, I'm grateful that I have. That's where Salesforce experience comes in, which is, you know, one of Aaron's real strong um, facets as well. And, and we're documenting how we can, you know, plug into their process or how we need to build a, a separate instance of a process in order to drive value to the account-based side. So um, yeah, it's a really a holistic view and every case is very much unique. So at the end of the day, all these organizations are all about driving, driving more impact through sales and marketing. So we just need to make sure that we're comfortable and, and confident with where they stand and how we can build a roadmap to get them to where they need to be. Outstanding. Trent, it's been so great talking to you today, getting to learn more about your background and your expertise in Lead Leo. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they're interested in discussing some things we've chatted about today or are interested in working with you over at Lead Leo? Yeah, the easiest way is, is Trent, T-R-E-N-T at Lead Leo, L-E-A-D-L-I-O dot com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, which is where you and I got connected originally. Yep. And that's uh, linkedin.com slash in slash growth, G-R-O-W-T-H, Trent, T-R-E-N-T. So by all means, I, I try to post as much valuable content on there. Um, you don't see many stupid memes out of me, although yeah. I posted one on Monday. So yeah, I, I love networking with people, even if you don't want to talk opportunities. You know, it's a great time to be in sales. It's a great time to be in, in technology-based sales. So um, I hope to learn from everybody else as well. Absolutely. Trent, it's been great speaking with you. Uh, hoping to hear from you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Morgan. Yep. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. If you love what you heard, be sure to head back to morgandwilliams.com and go over to the podcast page for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on the next value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure to take action.